Hey, <laughs> welcome to Sierra Bible Church. If I haven't met you yet, my name is Jesse, and uh, for the most part, I have the privilege, the opportunity to teach God's Word here on Sundays, and, and we've been praying for you and praying for these services, and that new people would come. In fact, I'm, I'm just kind of blessed right now to be at this place in the evening. Uh, our first gathering was amazing, but we were so packed out here. Uh, I am surprised we were able to fit everyone in. We, we had overflow next door and had close to 120 people just in the other building next door, in addition to people in the, the coffee shop and in the cry room over here and tucked away in the alcoves. We had kids on the floor. There are uh, roughly approximately about two to 300 less kids in this service than the last service. So um, it, it's just a little bit easier for me to uh, communicate, and uh, we're just thankful. We know that this is an important evening. Uh, it's a night where we have the opportunity to celebrate what we believe is the greatest event in human history, where God descended from heaven to earth to intervene on behalf of humankind, that we would be reconciled back to God himself. And so our staff has been praying for these services, and our team has been praying, and we just have a ton of people who put in a tremendous amount of effort to make an evening like this happen. And so to the team, I just want to say thank you guys for all that you've done and, and your service. And again, thank you for being here. Could you give them a round of applause for me if you would? <clears throat> and um, of course, we want to uh, welcome those who are joining us on the live feed. We're glad you're joining us as well uh, on Christmas Eve. I know there's some of our families that are, are sick and, and watching from home, and that's always kind of a bummer, but it's good that we have that available. Hey, uh, I want to show you a video. Uh, one of the things uh, this, this evening I want to talk about is that Christmas uh, really demands a response. It demands a reaction. And uh, we had an opportunity to sit down with several of our kids from Children's Church in the last few weeks and ask them some questions on Christmas. And so I want to show you a video of some of their responses. I hope you enjoy it. Go ahead and uh, kick that off. Jesus. 
plants. God. Wise men. Sheep. Joseph. Um, Adam and Eve. I don't know. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and David. I forgot that too. Yes, Joseph's mom, not really, because God was actually Jesus' father. Joseph and Mary. My mom and dad. <laughs> the Jesus baby. I only know him in my room. In the stable. Somewhere around Jerusalem. In that little house thing. The stable. <laughs> in a manger. In a garage. I, I just literally forgot um, the priest. The garbage. Mary and Joseph. Of course. Because God gave me a baby. I know, only a thing we got a Christmas tree. Is that home? Presents. Presents. Lighting up the tree and putting it, the first um, star on top. We get to play in the snow. Presents. That I get to be with family. Smells and I get to spend time with my family. Presents. Um, the toys give my presents. I hope he gives me five babies. Um, I like the value place. And those toys in Dale. Even the pants with Dale. And Cap. And Backwell. Celebrating Jesus. That's the day that Jesus was born and saved us. That's good. Uh, so my some of my children were in that video, and all of the answers that were biblically correct that came from my kids. And the uh, the other ones, I'd, we're working on the parents. Trust us, we have a we have a good program. Um, no, we do have an amazing kids program on Sundays, and our teachers do an amazing job. Uh, and those kids are so loved here and cared for, and it's just fun to see their answers in that way. Uh, I was with a staff that you know this week, and we were talking uh, about um, my message a little bit, and and uh, the theme that I I want to share with you this evening is that Christmas demands a, re- a reaction, a response. Uh, really, there's no other season, there's no other holiday that demands the reaction and the response that Christmas brings. It, there's just a lot of memories that are attached to Christmas. Both, both some are painful. Uh, some are, are very memorable. There's a smell that comes with Christmas, uh, the, the smell of, of new, uh, for instance. I know there's many kids who are waiting to open up their package, and, and whatever that toy is, that thing. I still, I still have the memory of certain toys, the way the plastic smelled. I'm, I'm pretty sure it's going to give me cancer at some point in my life, but uh, there, there's just a unique smell, and, and we respond and we react. And the reason we had so many people uh, in the first gathering, and, and so many of you here this evening, is because we recognize that we, we do need to respond. We need to react, and we take time away from the busyness and the shopping and the buying uh, to just sit and, and try to respond uh, with that element of peace that we know that Christmas is supposed to have, the element of joy that Christmas is supposed to have in relationship and proximity to people and, and family and all of that. And so I was sharing with the staff some of my Christmas memories. Uh, some of these are, are, are going to come across uh, cheesy for you, and some might be fun, more fun than others. Uh, but this is one of my big memories of Christmas. 
Um, some of you might know what this is. It's not a boat anchor. It actually is a video game console. Uh, I have vivid memories of getting this game, uh, gaming system, and, and playing with friends. It was one of the first times, I know nobody in this room probably cares about this, but uh, it was one of the first times you could actually play on different uh, video game systems on different TVs, and um, you, could <laughs> you could beat each other up, uh, you know, why, why you're, anyways, who cares? Um, this was another really fu fun one for me. My grandparents, uh, who both have passed, uh, they used to give us these Texas scratch pads. And what they were uh, were mint dollar bills, $2 bills, $50 bills, $100 bills, brand new. And I mean, they were crisp. And I, I can still remember the feel of that brand new dollar. Uh, I can still remember the feeling of pulling it out of the pad itself. And that was, money's always a fun one to get. I'm, I'm at that age now where someone says, what do you want for Christmas? And I say, cash, please. Um, <laughs> But hey, and then uh, when I was a kid, I was pretty young. I, I think I was probably seven, maybe a little younger. My grandmother bought me Gus. Uh, th this is a Cabbage Patch doll. Anyone ever have those? Uh, a few. This is Gus. This is a very real Cabbage Patch doll. Uh, my grandparents gave this. I know this says a lot about my masculinity. My, um, my grandparents gave this to me, uh, and I, I, uh, I lost it. And uh, oh, darn, right? That was especially in college. It was a good thing he was gone. Otherwise, I, I wouldn't be married today. Um, and 30 years later, I kid you not, my grandmother found it, re-gifted it to me uh, just a few years ago. So I still have Gus. My kids didn't know that I had Gus until last service, and now they're bothering me. They want Gus. So uh, that was, and then, um, and then Wayne, Pastor Wayne, some of you know Pastor Wayne. He's faithfully uh, served Sierra Bible Church for many years and was our lead pastor before I was. He was sharing with the staff that one Christmas, he got a 22 rifle. Can you believe it? Someone gave a young child a 22 rifle. It definitely was not the year 2019, was it? Uh, but I was talking to Sandy about this. Sandy is Wayne's wife, if you've never met her, and we were sharing about our first Christmas gift. She said, you won't believe it. I actually have a picture of Pastor Wayne when he got his 22 rifle for Christmas, and here he is. It's him. Yeah, she... <laughs> She said, she said, you know, Wayne speaks so fondly of that Christmas, but also said it was one of his most painful Christmases. And, um, and so, no, that's not Pastor Wayne. If you don't know what that is, ask your neighbor. I think from the laughs, you all know it's from the Christmas story. Uh, Pam, Pam uh, who has been our secretary faithfully for a long time, she shared one Christmas. She got a 1969 VW Bug. Now, top that, huh? How cool is that? Uh, and, in fact, she, she actually shared that... Uh, she ended up selling it to pay for uh, their wedding, for Brad and Pam's wedding. And so this was a gift that paid dividends for many years to come. I think that's pretty beautiful. Brad Knoll, uh, this will date him a little bit. He got Voltron. I don't know how many of you <laughs> remember Voltron. was really good. And then um, uh, Jim Mathias, he's our... Uh, he, He's our, janit our janitor here and makes sure that the building looks top-notch every week. In addition to that, he also does a lot of the artwork here. Uh, and he's kind of a simple guy. He likes simple things. And, and so I said, what did you get for Christmas, Jim? And he said, you know, one year I got socks and a can of chicken. <laughs> and that was, uh, I'm sure the chicken had a unique uh, <laughs> flavor uh, to it. Uh, I'm not sure you should eat canned chicken. Uh, but he also, he also got, uh, anybody remember that robot? This will date some of you. This is the Lost in Space robot. Not the new one on Netflix. That's way cooler. But this is what it looked like uh, in the past. And so uh, you can see these are just some, some fun things um, that uh, just, just kind of reminded uh, us of Christmas and, and the response. And I wanted to share with you that biblically, there was a pretty radical response to the birth of Jesus uh, in the Bible. In fact, we're told uh, in Matthew as well as in Luke, 
uh, in a couple places in Luke, uh, that angels declared that Jesus was going to come, that the Messiah was going to come. Angels showed up on the scene to Joseph and said, don't worry about what's happening with Mary. Go ahead and marry her. Uh, angels showed up on the scene to Zachariah, who was the, uh, the father of John the Baptist, who prepared the way for Jesus and, and was baptized. Angels showed up on the scene. And now for you and I, we, we, we don't see angels every day, and we know that this is a big deal, but it was a really big deal in this time. And, and the reason for that is because in the Old Testament, God was constantly preparing his people. So the whole Old Testament is really just pointing us to what we're experiencing and celebrating uh, um, tomorrow morning. And the Old Testament says, hey, a Messiah is coming. A baby's going to be born. He's going to carry your sins for you. He's going to reconcile you to God the Father. He's going to do everything he can to give you peace and forgiveness and mercy and compassion and grace. This is what God is going to do. And then at a certain point in the prophets, God says, I'm no longer speaking. I'm not speaking until the Savior is going to come. And so there is a silence, a 400-year silence. And there's, there's nothing amazing happening. It's just the humdrum of everyday life. There are people serving. There are priests giving sacrifices. There are people going to the temple. And it's just day in and day out without God showing up, as he did in the Old Testament, in miraculous ways. And then all of a sudden, boom, the angels show up and say, uh, they say hey, guess what? The Messiah is here. Uh, and, and, and so we see this as a great time to respond with and we sing in our songs that the angels declare, the angels uh, would share with us. In addition to that, not only was there an angelic reaction, there was a pagan reaction. Uh, and so we recognize on Christmas Eve and sometimes on Easter, there are people who come to our services in our church and they would say that they're not Christians. They don't believe in Jesus or, or at least the name they would say they're Christians. And I would just say, if that's you this evening, we pray for you. We, we want you here, and you're welcome to be here. You, we want you to be a part of our family, and we're glad that you have come. And, and, and this, this response of those who don't know God or never knew God or the story of God responding to God uh, is a major reaction of the birth of Jesus Christ. And we see this with the pagan astrologers, the Magi. Uh, and so oftentimes when you set up your little manger there and you go, hey, here's the Magi and here's the, the wise men is what we call them, the wise men were not Jewish men. They were Gentiles. A lot of people don't know that. And they, they worshiped other gods. Uh, but what's, it's believed that what happened was Daniel, uh, Daniel, if you remember, all again, back in the Old Testament, Daniel, who was brought into the pagan system of the day, and he spoke on behalf of the kings, he actually worked with the magi of the day. They were astrologers. They, they were men who looked at the stars and studied the stars. In fact, uh, many theologians and historians say that the common person then had a greater understanding of the stars uh, than, than we would today. They studied them, they looked at them, uh, and they knew and, and were waiting for certain events to happen. And it's believed that Daniel shared with the Magi, hey, listen, uh, just watch out for this star. It's going to appear, and when it appears, it's going to mark uh, a Savior is going to be born. And then we fast forward all these years, it's believed that this tradition was passed on to these pagan astrologers, and they saw the star uh, appear, and they said, he's here, the Savior is here. And these non-believing uh, pagan astrologers show up on the scene, and they become believers of Christianity, they become believers of Jesus as the Messiah. And, and this is to show us that Jesus and Christmas show us that, that even the world, the whole world, has to respond to Jesus. It has to react. So we all have to respond. Whether you're an angel or, or whether, whether you're a pagan, you don't believe in Jesus, there has to be a response. Uh, in addition 
to that, though, we also see that the the blue-collar man, the working man, had to respond. Uh, And in Jesus' day, that was the shepherds. If you remember, they were out in the field. And so these hardworking men who took care of the sheep and fought off wolves and bears came to worship Jesus. The common person had to respond. And and, and even in that, uh, Jesus' mother, the Virgin Mary, Mary, had to respond. We're told in Luke 2.19 that after the birth of Jesus and the response of the angels and these individuals that she didn't know showing up to the manger to worship Jesus and to give gifts to Jesus, it says she gathered these things and pondered them in her heart. Her her response was to contemplate and to think about it, which is kind of what we're trying to do this evening. Uh, And then uh, there is the response to do absolutely nothing. And we see that in Scripture as well. In fact, uh, there's a king, we'll, we'll talk about him in just a moment, named Herod. And King Herod went to the scribes, the Pharisees, which was the church of the day, the religious people of the day. And they came to him, I'm sorry, Herod came to the Pharisees and said, where is this king of the Jews? And the Pharisees, the religious said, well, he's going to be over here. They described to Herod where he might be, where the Messiah might be born. And the response of the Pharisees was to do absolutely nothing. Can I just take a moment to say that sometimes the worst representatives of the gospel in which I'm trying to communicate this evening, it can be religious people in the church. Sometimes religious people are the worst. And I know you're like, well, wait a minute, I'm a religious person. Oh, well, welcome to Christmas Eve. We're trying to beat that out of you a little bit and get you to absorb and bring in the gospel and the grace of Jesus Christ and to not do anything but to do something with this baby, with this Jesus. And then there was Herod, the king of the day. Herod uh, heard that this baby would be born and that it was possible uh, that he, that this Jesus, this baby that might be God was going to be king of the Jews. Herod didn't want to have anything to do with that. uh, And so he went out and slaughtered every child in the area that was two years and under, which shows us sometimes, sometimes the response to Jesus is hostility, to be troubled in mind, which is what Herod was. All that to be said, these individuals uh, in scripture had to respond and they did. And likewise, this evening, I think we have to respond as well. Why? Why do we have to respond? The reason we have to respond at Christmas time is because the message of Jesus as a baby is the message of what we call theologically as the incarnation. And what it literally means is that Jesus is God in the flesh. It's God who has come to dwell amongst us. In fact, John 1.14 says this perfectly. He says that God, the word, which is God, came and dwelt amongst us. That word dwelt literally means he came and tabernacled amongst us. I know that doesn't mean much to us today. We don't use that word tabernacle, but it means it, he, he tented amongst us is another way to put it. He set up a tent amongst us. Now, uh, imagine this for a moment. Let's say I'm going to come to your house, and I'm going to stay with you for a while. Randon's uh, a buddy of mine. Randon, uh, I saw a while back, I think you, you needed some, uh, some roommates, and I said, you know what? I don't want to stay in your house I want to live in your backyard. And Randon says, yep, I'm going to let you live in my backyard. Uh, you're, gonna, you're, you're not going to have to pay a whole lot of rent for that because you don't have a room. So I show up to Randon's house, and I pull up my tent, and I pop that thing out there, and I live in that tent for however long I'm going to live in that tent. Now, because I tented among Randon, uh, I'm going to have to use some things, right? I, I have a tent. I don't have a bathroom. I, I don't have a kitchen table. I don't have a refrigerator. So I'm going to need these things at Randon's house. You okay with this? I do have four kids, so um, that we'll talk about that later. Um, 
So at any rate, what, what, what God is saying is, is that, that when God became flesh and tented amongst us, he's saying, hey, listen, I want to hang out with you. Like, I want to live with you. I, I don't, I'm not content to build a castle. I don't want to come in a throne. I came to be flesh amongst you, which means that God is saying, I want a lot of interaction with you. I want a relationship with you. I, I want to sit down at your dinner table. I want to eat your food. I, I want to talk to you. I want to speak with you. I want to rub shoulders with you. This is what happens when, when God comes in the flesh. God is saying, I'm coming so you can understand me. Uh, in addition to that, he's also saying, I'm coming to be flesh, which means uh, that he's, he's soft. He, he's, he's killable. He came and he risked his own life on our behalf that, that we would inevitably be the cause of Jesus' death, that he would die the death that we deserve. And he did these things so that you and I would be in relationship with him, and this is ultimately a complete act of love. See, Jesus came and dwelt amongst us. If you would, to use the analogy with Randon, I came to Randon's house because I really like Randon. I really like him. I want to be around him. I want to share his table. This is going to get weird if I keep using this analogy, but um, Keller says it this way. He's one of my favorite pastors, uh, and it's a quote that I use often because it speaks so clearly. Oh, there's the Xbox again. It speaks so clearly of, um, of this idea of love. He says in regards to love, he says, to be loved but not known. To be loved but not known is comforting, but it's superficial. It doesn't mean anything. If someone says, I love you, but I don't know you, it doesn't mean anything. And then he goes on to say, but to be fully known and truly loved is, well, a lot like being loved by God. There's another part where Keller says, says if, I, if, I, if I say that I, I know you and I don't love you, that's like one of our worst fears. So either way, we've got a problem. Because if we're known and not loved, it'll devastate us. If we're not loved, uh, but, and someone says, says they know us, but they don't love it, there's an issue there. There's a, there's a tension there. And what Keller says here, he says, ultimately, the only way to be fully known and fully loved, uh, fully liked even for that matter, it's to be in a relationship with God himself. That God knows you, and even though he knows you, and he knows your sin, and he knows the things that you wrestle with and your struggles, uh, the way that you even reacted yesterday when you were at line trying to shop, you know that? He, he still, inevitably, he loves you, and he cares for you. You can't get that anywhere else. We look for it sometimes in marriage, but we know that our spouse can't give it. We want to love our kids that way, but we know inevitably we're not able to do that. The only place we can find this kind of love is within the God-man that is Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. He came ultimately to love us and to be there on our behalf. Speaking of this radical grace, another author says, God is free and overflowing and lavish in his goodness to sinful creatures. That's what we celebrate at Christmas time. This is grace. This is the essence of God's reality because nothing reveals the fullness of his deity, that is to say the fullness of his Godhead, the fullness of who he is, more than the freedom of his grace. And this idea of grace is him un, uh, merit, loving you with no merit at all, with no having to earn it. He is full, God is full, happy, sufficient in himself, so that he does not need us to meet his need, but is surging with infinite energy and fullness to meet ours. That is amazing. I don't know if, if, if the rest of the quote is too boring for you, just look at the last part. God is his, all of his energy, all of his might, all of his cosmic stuff that makes him God, makes him infinite, says he is dead set on meeting you where you're at to fulfill your heart. That is amazing that God would humble himself as a baby and come on our behalf. One of the things that, um, 
that my family likes to do every Christmas uh, is pick a few Christmas movies and watch Christmas movies. Anybody do that? Anybody? A few of you? Um, one, of, uh, one of the debates that's going around, uh, I joked with the, the first gathering, is whether or not uh, Die Hard is a Christmas movie or not. This, <laughs> this was a real conversation online. Is it or is it not? I'm gonna, I'm not gonna, I don't want to decide for you if it is or it isn't, but, but it is. And um, <clears throat> I've, never, I've, never, I've never actually watched it with my children, though, so it's going to get me in trouble. Oh, he's so pagan. And then there's the Pharisees and, you know, okay. Um, ultimately, God wants to bring us to himself. And so what we do, what my, my wife and I, when we watch movies, especially with our kids, what we attempt to do is not to just watch a movie for the sake of watching the movie, but we try to find within the movie, within the story, gospel, grace-filled implications. Uh, and, and inevitably, they're in, in every really good movie. In fact, uh, I have said before, J.R. Tolkien, who wrote The Lord of the Rings, is quoted as saying, every good story is good because it has the gospel in it. And one must just look a little deeper in the story to find the gospel. Uh, one of the stories that, uh, uh, movies that my family and I have been watching for the last few years is Home Alone. Any Home Alone fans uh, here? Yeah. What a great movie. The, the, and you go, wait a minute, the gospel's in Home Alone? Yes, it is. Uh, so in Home Alone, if you remember, Kevin... Kevin, a young child, is left at home alone while the rest of his very large family goes across seas on Christmas vacation. And while he is alone, uh, some predators show up on the scene to steal stuff from the house. And Kevin ultimately uh, booby traps the home and beats up on him. And we were watching it just before coming here uh, this evening with my family. And boy, I just love the slapstick uh, comical responses that are in that movie. In the movie, if you, if you remember it, there is this spot in Home Alone that almost, almost doesn't fit. It sits right in the middle of the movie, and it's unlike the end of the movie, and it's not quite like the beginning of the movie. Uh, and, and it's the point where at some point, uh, Kevin finds himself wandering into a church on Christmas Eve. And he wanders into the church, and he sits down, and a pastor is there, and, and there is something happening in the, in the moment. And the movie winds itself away from all of the comic slapstick stuff and comes to this moment of, of just pensive kind of thinking. And Kevin looks across the room, and who does he see sitting there but old man Marley? And old man Marley in the movie, if you remember, old man Marley, it is rumored, has killed his family. And so, so here's this, this old man sitting across the room, and he stands up, old man Marley stands up, walks over to Kevin and says, may I sit down? And with, with a look in his face like, I better say yes or I'll die, he says, yes, you may sit. And if you remember, old man Marley sits down next to Kevin, and there's this intimate moment between this child who is alone and this man that you can tell has loneliness within him. And as they start to have a conversation, Kevin finds out that old man Marley happens to be alone and old man Marley assures him he has not killed his family. And, and he says to him, I'm not reconciled with my son. I don't have a relationship with my son. And he says, well, do you want a relationship with your son? I do. And he says, what? And Kevin, this young child just says only what a young child can. Why don't you just give him a call? What's the worst thing he can do? Say no. And, and old man Marley says, no, he doesn't want to hear from me. He says, no, you, you should call him. And you fast forward to the end of the movie, the family comes home, embraces Kevin. Kevin's looking out the window, and it's snowing just as it should be because the director can make that happen to show the emotion. And what does he see through the snowfall? He sees old man Marley hugging his son. Old man Marley and his son are reconciled at Christmas time. 
That's the gospel. And the gospel is this. The gospel is Kevin essentially said to him, if you want to be reconciled with your son, the only thing you need to do is humble yourself, swallow your pride, and give your son a call. Just give him a call. And I think likewise, when we think of the, the forgiveness of Jesus that is accessible to all mankind, when we think of the love of God that is accessible to all of mankind, we say, how do I access this eternal life that is in Jesus? You simply humble yourself and you make the call. You pick up the phone of prayer and you say, Jesus, I believe that you are the son of God. Jesus, I believe at Christmas time you came that I would know you and you would know me, and that you would give me a life of eternal hope and a life of gladness and a life of joy, that you don't have to live for yourself anymore. When we think of Christmas, and we think that, there, that Christmas demands a reaction, the only reaction that we can have is to receive Jesus in faith, to come to the place of saying, you know, Lord, I need you. As I've said before, and I'll probably continue to say it, for as long as God is uh, my Lord and I live and breathe and have the ability to preach. The only thing that is needed for salvation is need. And some of us are too filled with other things to admit that we have need of a Savior. But that's the only thing that we need. And so I want to invite you at Christmas time to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Some of you uh, might remember there's a, here's old man Marley and Kevin, but um, there's a quote by C.S. Lewis. And C.S. Lewis was a kind of like the pagan astrologers. He was once a skeptic, uh, and he's an educated man. C.S. Lewis is super educated. He's smarter than everybody in the room uh, that is here. Just trust me on this. He was, a, he, he was an author and a speaker and a, a poet. He was uh, just an amazing human being, and we have some of the best writings in human history because of him. And he later became a Christian, and he wrote all kinds of great uh, books. One of them is Mere Christianity, huge influence on my life. C.S. Lewis said this about reading the Gospels. He said, I've been reading poems, romances, vision, literature, legends, and myths all of my life, and I know what they're like. I know none of them are like this. Of the Gospel texts, there are only two possible views, Lewis says. Either this is reportage, that is to say it is history, it is truth, and someone's reporting it, or, or else some unknown ancient writer without known predecessors or successors suddenly anticipated the whole technique of modern novelistic, realistic narrative. The reader who doesn't see this has simply not learned how to read. So what Lewis is saying, he's saying either you have to recognize when you read the Gospels, when you read the history of Jesus, because we believe this to be a historical event in which God came to intervene on our behalf that we would no longer feel distant from God. And he says when you read the Bible, this is what he's saying, when you read it, you really can only come to two conclusions or two reactions. Reaction one is this is, this is true. Uh, reaction two, he says, well, well, then somebody showed up and had some kind of ability to do writing that had never been done before. He says, and if you can't see that, well, then you've actually never learned how to read. That's what he says. You've got to go back to school to figure out how to do this stuff. Or the way that another great author said it, said it before. Again, my good friend Keller, he says, don't believe the gospel because it'll meet your needs. Don't believe it, though it will. Don't believe the gospel because it'll give you a personal relationship with God, though it does. Believe the gospel because it's true. If the story of Jesus isn't true, it'll be of no help to you. It might be touching. It might be exciting. It might be moving. But if it's not true, it won't help you. Uh, so my friends, the e this evening, I, I want to invite you to take a step of faith and to journey into a relationship 
with the God of the universe who literally set his tent in the backyard of humanity, that he would live amongst us, that he would dwell amongst us, that we would know him and we would receive his forgiveness. Uh, I want to invite the uh, worship team to come on up uh, at this time and, uh, and the pastoral team who are going to light uh, candles with us this evening. We're going to sing. <clears throat> I heard one author, he said, every one of us at the end of the day is an innkeeper. And we all have to decide if Jesus has room within our hearts or not. And I would pray that you'd open up your heart this evening. Uh, I want to pray uh, for us here in a moment. Before I do, I want you to, to understand as we celebrate Christmas, we, we do look and see that Jesus came and dwelt amongst us. And the Bible, one of the descriptions of Jesus is that he is the light of the world. And that as he came into the light of the world, he came uh, into the light of darkness. That is to say that, that humanity without Jesus, it has some real problems. And Jesus has come in our midst. He has tabernacled and the light has shone. And then as Jesus shared his good news, and he did it so well, we are here because this is history and because it's real. We're, we're celebrating 2,000 years after the fact because of what Jesus has done. We even, we've changed our whole dating calendar, the way we AD and, and BC because of Jesus. And so as Jesus has come and dwelt amongst us, he shared his good news with the disciples and with those others who didn't know him. And he came and he shared the gospel with people who were tax collectors and prostitutes and the lame and the wicked, and they received his grace. And then likewise, as we pass the light to you, that grace is extended. And as we, if you would just stand with me and... Um, as we do this, there's just a couple little ground rules. There's way less children in here, so it's not as deadly as it was in the first <laughs> service. Um, but just hold on to your candles, and we're going to sing together, and, and the ushers will pass um, the, the candles. But let me pray for our time here, and then we'll sing. Lord, we thank you that Christmas is not about us. We thank you that the Bible is not about us. We thank you, Lord, that you are the light, that we are to surround ourselves around you and to give you our love as you've given us your love. That we're to be warmed by the fire of your Holy Spirit, Lord, that we're to be given life and light from, from above. And we just thank you that we have an opportunity now to come before you. I pray, Lord, this evening that um, if there are those who are here that don't want to live life alone anymore, maybe they feel like old man Marley, distant from you and afar. Uh, maybe, Lord, their sin has overtaken them. Maybe they feel too guilty. And, and maybe, Lord, they're, they're too self-righteous. But at this moment, they've had an inkling of their heart softening for you and they want a relationship with you. Now, if that's you this evening, I just want you to pray this prayer with me. Lord, would you come into my heart? Would you save me from myself and from my sin? Lord, would you make me a true follower of yourself? Jesus, I want to give you my life because I don't want to do it alone anymore. And I don't want to do it in my own power. Thank you, Jesus, for forgiving me of my sins and giving me eternal life. Now my spirit I place into your hands. In Jesus' name, amen.